Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to Ratsal Review. We are the new band, Wayneless. Wayne. Where's Wayne today? I don't know. Doing something. Probably getting a new keyboard so he can play his favorite Billy Ocean covers. Oh. Hey, Caribbean Queen's a gem. I don't care what anyone says. Oh, Suddenly is a great album. I like Billy Ocean. Yeah, I do like the one song that uh, Robert John Mutlang wrote for him, uh, Loverboy. The video mm-hmm. is freaking weird, though. I'm, you've seen it, I'm sure. Yeah, it's... <laughs> There's a lot of videos in the 80s that were just weird like that. Everything. <laughs> Almost all of them. Like, I don't know. One, it's funny because Van Halen's first uh, video of the 80s uh, non-live performance was technically Pretty Woman, and we all remember how weird that was. Yeah. But a classic funny video regardless. Anyways, so, Mr. Greg Noggle, how you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Lou? Chilling, chilling. Another day at the office. Another day doing the Rats Eye Review with you and no Wayne for once, which is sad. Wayne, we hope all is well. But uh, the show must go on, to quote Freddie Mercury. And that's exactly what we're going to do. And today we're going to talk about two albums that don't fall under the umbrella of metal. Um, I doubt they even fall under the umbrella of hard rock, but... No, I mean, they've always kind of been like arena rock or jazz rock. That's true in in different stages in their career, but we're actually going to be doing something that's a little off the cuff. We're going to be covering two Journey albums, but... It's not the ones that you would expect us to do. So I don't want to hear anybody bitch that we're not doing Departure or Infinity or Escape or Frontiers. <laughs> All right. And if anyone even mentions Capture, I'll come to your house and slap you. And we're not doing the live one either. No, no. we're going to do two Journey albums that are complete polar opposites of each other. And the first one that we're going to start with is... Their 1986, I guess at the time, was their their farewell album, which is Raised on Radio. And a lot of controversy with this album because the only original member of Journey still left at this point is just Neil Schoen. And you have Jonathan Cain, you have Steve Perry, but you don't have Ross Valerie on bass or Steve Smith on drums. 
In nope, fact, and this is actually the only album Journey has that Ross Valerie does not play on. Until their next one, which apparently, uh, supposedly it's Randy Jackson returning to the fold. Oh, really? Supposedly, but apparently I think he's embittered in some kind of lawsuit now with Neil Schoen. I don't know, but don't read everything you believe on Wikipedia. But yeah, uh, just recently Neil Schoen and Jonathan Cain fired Ross Valerie and Steve Smith from the band. Again. <laughs> Whatever. But in this time around, it was Steve Perry who fired both of them. And on bass, you have Randy Jackson, not from Zebra, but from American Idol fame, or later American Idol fame. And the drummer, uh, Larry... L- Greg, help me out here. L- <laughs> Larry Landon. That's it, it, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Supposedly, oh, Larry London, yeah, Larry London, okay, who was apparently a big uh studio drummer in the 70s and 80s, and you know, he played with them on this album and then played with them on this tour. Which this was the only uh album where they only toured stateside. And after 75 shows, Steve Perry broke up the band in early January of 1987, yeah. So this album's a bit of a departure, no pun intended, from previous Journey albums because it's the most poppy-sounding bubblegum shit I've ever heard in my life. And I say that because I love Journey, but... Uh. Well, I mean, you can tell it started off as a uh, as Steve Perry's second solo record. Exactly. And then he, he couldn't do it. They owed an album, so he said, let's put it out as a Journey record. And that was what the beginning of what led to Steve Smith's exit because I mean, he said, I, I don't remember if it was one of those classic albums, documentaries or behind the music, but I think it was behind the music. Okay. Yeah. There was a lot of pressure just because Steve was the producer, like everyone at the label and Steve wanted you to do it the way Steve wanted you to do it. And it wasn't a, um, a group record he felt. So, he was very happy to get out of there. <laughs> uh, it does not sound like a group record, although, you know, you definitely hear Jonathan Cain's influence by then. But, you know, that's the golden team of Jonathan Cain, the music writer, and Steve Perry, the lyricist, you know, releasing gold, whatever they do. I mean, this album did go double platinum. Oh, yeah. And, well, I mean, there's some great songs on it, but there's some stuff that is definitely not Journey songs on here, too. <laughs> no. No, absolutely not. Um, I guess we could go through the album. Uh, first song being Girl Can't Help It. My only notes were, eh. I love that song. It's a great song. <laughs> it's just good sound- beat, good choruses. It's one of the more upbeat ones on here, you know. Both, uh, both sides of this record tend to slide into really slow melancholy. Is it? Matter of fact, I really don't like the last song. I think they should have left it off and ended it with Eyes of a Woman. Oh, I actually love the last song. Uh, hold on, I got the notes. Uh, uh, Why Can't This Night Go On Forever? I said yeah. that it was one of the five songs that I like on the album. <laughs> That's funny. I said it was a perfect swan song for Journey in the 1980s. Who? And it's funny because you and Wayne were talking about this the night before. I said... Perfect Swan song for Journey in the eighties, who would then re- who would then release a far superior album in ten years called Trial by Fire. Meanwhile, Wayne and Greg both agreed Trial by Fire sucked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we, I'm the minority. 
and that's fine. Um, why can't this night go on forever? Isn't necessarily a terrible song, no. It's just too much at the end of the record. I get it, but yeah. when has Journey ever not been about pomp and circumstance? When uh, Steve Perry joined, you know, I mean, yeah. I, if you think about it, Departure is probably the one album of that classic lineup that sounds the furthest removed from what Steve Perry was really known for after that album because that album was actually designed for Robert Fleischman to sing on. So that was definitely more in his range and more of his... Uh, Departure? Uh, I'm sorry, Infinity, Infinity. Okay, I, that's what I thought you meant. I get them like, confused. Yeah. Since I don't know why. You know, because there's, there's, there's Journey tribute bands on Long Island. One's Departure, one's Infinity. After a while, I'm just like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's, can't differentiate it sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. But, uh, yeah, I, I know that Girl Can't Help It was one of the big hit songs. And I, I'm not denying that it was a hit. It's just, it, it, I, I guess I, I just expect more as a, as a Journey fan. But you like it. That's cool. Uh, I mean, it's definitely homogenized, but, yeah, it's a good mm-hmm. song. Yeah. The next song here is Positive Touch. And my only notes were, did they purposely try to rewrite I'm So Excited by the Pointer Sisters? I I like the bass in it. <laughs> and the whole time, during the first two songs, all I keep picturing is Carlton from Fresh Prince of, De- of Bel-Air doing his dance to it. I can't help it. Boy can't help it. <laughs> yeah. You know where he actually got that dance from? No. It's, it's the dance Courtney Cox does in the Dancing in the Dark video by Bruce Springsteen. Oh, my God. I never put the two together. <laughs> He said when he was doing it, the thought in his head was, all right, whitest dance I can think of. And that was what he went with. You know what, though, you have to give the credit to, though? You have to give the credit to David Alan Greer because in I'm Going to Get You Sucka, he referenced the music video and yep. danced the same thing. So um, he did it first. He did it before Alfonso Ribeiro. Yep. Alonzo Ribeiro or Alfonso Alfonso Ribeiro. Okay, Ribeiro, I got to write the first. However it is, yeah. yeah. But it's definitely Alfonso. All right. But yeah, you know, okay, catchy. And then Suzanne is the next song. Hey, Pooch. Is that the Pitbull? Yeah. Ah, oh, very nice. Then the next song is Suzanne. And my comments for that were, Sherry doesn't have to worry about competition. Yeah. Not a bad yeah, not a bad song though, and I thought it was funny because you sent me a text earlier saying you got you had Suzanne stuck in your head all day, <laughs> dude. Yeah, just the chorus of the song. It's so friggin' catchy, but yeah, it's it's definitely not as good as Oh Sherry, which I really don't care for either. Yeah, Actually, I might like Suzanne better, but um, it's just one of them over hoke, overly hokey type ballad songs that was real popular in the 80s. It's not bad, but it doesn't really stand out outside of the chorus. I which getting you. your stuck in your head, and then the only way to get it out is with a bullet. <laughs> which we don't advocate for that on Rot Side Review. <laughs> so, like, take it easy, no, everyone. Don't, get don't. The, don't take it the wrong way. And uh, next song after that is another one of the big hits from this, which was Be Good to Yourself, which... You know, the first Journey album that I ever owned was actually the greatest hit CD that was released in 88. And this was the last song on that album. And, you know, at at the time, not having heard Raised on Radio till after 
I listened to the Greatest Hits album first. Um, it, it, it's it's funny to say that it's almost like that was like the last song that that you could think of that journey kind of said goodbye to everybody too. I was like, oh, you know, that's a that's a great way to end a Greatest Hits compilation. Yeah. You know, if, if that's the final release that we'll ever get from them. But uh, no, catchy tune. I mean, I don't I don't hear it on the radio anymore, and I Not don't even. Really. They made a video for it, but I know it's a, it's a fan favorite that they still play live to this day. It's a great song. It's actually, honestly, probably the first song in the track listing so far that actually sounds like Journey. Yeah, I could agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> because, but, um, yeah, it's, it's It's not as strong as some of their previous hits, but it's still a good song. It's one of my favorites on here. No, I love it. It's a great one. Yeah. By the way, before we move on, I guess we should even mention how we both first got into Journey. So uh, how did you, I mean, aside from the fact that they're one of the biggest bands of all time, but when did you first hear or know or listen to Journey? I was a kid. My my mom and my dad both liked them a lot. So, you know, Greatest Hits, Escape, Frontiers, I heard all that type of stuff. And I just liked it. Raised on Radio was one of them, too. I actually really like this record. You know, it's not the best, but I like it a lot. <laughs> but I... um, the, the, the one I honestly remember the best that I heard when I was young, and it, I can't remember if it was this album or if it was the Greatest Hits compilation, but I'll Be All Right Without You's on there. It's on both the greatest hits and yeah. Raised on radio, yeah. She has to go up. <laughs> All right, Wayne, you're gonna have to pause it here. Yeah, Wayne, you're gonna have to pause it and edit it. I can't help it. I don't want her peeing on the floor. Sorry, Lou. Dog can't help it. It's okay. We'll keep recording. <laughs> Oh, come on, guys. Are you serious? I give you one job to do. Just one job. You just did one show together. The first, Actually, the first show you two did together. And now you're making me pause and edit the show. Unbelievable. Just for that, we're going to take a little trip. You know where we're going? You know what we're looking for? Looking for a city. We'll be right back. Well, this next and final song is going to be one that has made me pretty famous over the last few years. Um, it has took me a lot of places I didn't think I would be at. Um, but it was the first time on stage, New Year's Eve 2002, uh, with one of the best quartets out there today, Brian Free and Assurance. And I was pl uh, privileged to be able to sing this one with Brian Free. And uh, I don't know if I beat him that night or not, but ever since uh, then we've had competitions, I've wore him out, um, not to make me look good or anything, but that's what happened. But uh, this is one that also uh, my friends at my hometown church, Gospel Light Baptist Church in Salisbury, North Carolina, has uh, really made uh, their top choice, so therefore we're going to finish off with this one. It's called Looking for a City. Looking for a city built above Looking for a city Where 
saying in millions, never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior, and our loved ones too. Come, our Holy Spirit, for our homes renewed. Looking we'll get back to uh, get back into it. Were you done with your journey story, or? Oh no! So. Um... Yeah. Uh, where is it? Oh, yeah. I'll be all right without you. That's what uh, we were talking about. So, yeah, it is on both. And more of what I was getting at there is I can't remember which one I heard it on first, but that song really stuck out. You know, Steve sings some of his best on there. It's just got good bass line, good guitar. You know, it's a really mm-hmm. good song. And, um, you know, when I was a little kid, I really liked 50s rock and roll and shit like that a lot. And on that song especially, he really sounds like Sam Cooke. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that really stuck with me. And I, I got into Journey pretty big pretty early on. And then as I got a little bit older, I realized, well, that's not really what you call rock, apparently. But <laughs> Yeah, they called it corporate rock. But, I mean, to me, it was still good. Just because it made a lot of money didn't mean that it was bad. You know, just... Such a bad stigma that it was getting from magazines like Rolling Stone. But you could definitely tell they were a people's band because, well, you know, it spoke, oh, yeah. num- it spoke in the numbers of their sales and their record attendance. So, you know, who won in that? <laughs> not yeah. Rolling Stone because Journey had to get inducted by popular demand. So not that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame means anything. But all right, that's no. cool. Well, at least they're there. <laughs> so, How about uh, uh, you? For me, this is this is going to sound weird, but, you know, I remember seeing the Escape album cover everywhere, even like years after it was released. I remember seeing my brother's uh, Trapper Keeper adorned with a journey. Yeah, this is how far back I'm going, ladies and gentlemen, um, with a with an Escape sticker. And he had it on cassette and, you know, Dawson's Creek on the back. Wrong decade. And, um, but I didn't hear Journey for the first time ever until I heard Edge of the Blade off of the Frontiers album on a mixtape that my brother made for me. And I thought it was a really cool song. But at the time, up until I was nine, that's the only song I really knew from Journey. And then I saw Caddyshack, where Rodney's dancing to Any Way You Want It, which is one of the funniest scenes. I've ever seen in any film. Then again, I, I, I love Rodney Dangerfield. So seeing, see, watching him doing an early incarnation of the Carlton dance in 1980 was hilarious. And then it was Beavis and Butthead making fun of the Separate Ways video. And by that point, they had already broken up. But my brother did have Journey's Greatest Hits on CD. So I listened to it. And I'm like, you know, they're, they're, really, they're really good. And... Uh, a friend of mine in high school bought me the same CD for Christmas uh, in 95. Next year, Trial by Fire came out, and I was just like, okay, I'm a fan. And, you know, I'm glad I got to see them in concert back in 2006. Uh, actually, cool story. My wife and I, our first concert date ever was seeing Evolution, which was a Journey tribute band. And, mm-hmm. um, okay, so and now you're going to... S- gag when i say this but uh they played the song faithfully 
And that was the first time my wife said the words, I love you. And um, it meant a lot to me. print gay. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) And that ended up being our wedding song. And the week before before I proposed to her, uh, I took her to see Journey and Def Leppard at Jones Beach. So it was a, it was, it kind of came full circle. So yeah, the band journey means a lot to me. So, but not this album. So let's keep going. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So after Uh, be good to yourself comes a song. Once you love somebody. And once again, I say, eh, I like this one a lot. It's got that old Motown feel to it. A lot of that soul in there. Good song. Uh, I think it's one of the better ones on here. In Perry's voice, yes, but I just felt like the music is lacking. I will never knock Steve Perry's vocals, especially considering that well, he, he can't sing like that anymore. And it's it's sad because I thought his 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 singing was an institution, and you know, kills me that he can never sing to that caliber. But you know, you got to take into account that if that's what he sounded like back then. And it makes sense why he can't do that right now because it was just so much power in his voice, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Probably one of my five favorite singers of all time. And then the next track after that is Happy to Give. Man, it sounds like a filler track from his solo album. I'm not a fan. Yeah, just too syrupy for me. Yeah. But the then after that is the title track, Raised on Radio. And I like this one. I like this one, too. I think um, the overproduction of this album hurts it a little bit. Like, kind of restrains it a little bit. But it's still a good song, even though it doesn't really, like, burst out like Journey did previously. You know, kind of like something like Mother Father did. Like, uh, this has the potential to be, I don't know, kind of in your face like that. But it's a little bit restrained because of the production. Yeah, I mean, this is this album definitely suffers from sounding the most dated, I think, of all the Journey releases. Yeah. It's like, you listen to it and you can just pinpoint 1986 right there. And um, But uh, a, a catchy song, and it, 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 I don't think it suffers. Uh, the chorus is just big and boisterous, and I love that, you know? So, and then there was a song that we just spoke about, I'll Be Alright Without You, and... Yep. Which yeah. probably has the most obvious 1986 moment in it when you get a little 1986 electronic drum solo that sounds awful, but yeah, more a fill than a solo. But I still love this song. It's one of my favorite Journey songs. Yeah, it's a good one. I mean, it's a cool, uh, it's a cool driving down the highway with the top down type song that you want to blast in your radio and sing along to the choruses. As you're getting pulled over by the state trooper going, why aren't you singing Don't Stop Believing instead? I don't know. Could be. Certainly in New Jersey. Ah, there you go. Um, Track nine, It Could Have Been You. So for this one, I said, I'm just not feeling it. Sean's guitar sounds great as always, but it just sounds too damn stale for me. Vince DiCola was doing more with keyboards on, keyboards on the Transformers and Rocky Four tracks and did it better. Ooh. That's right, Jonathan Kane. I'm calling you out. Vince DiCola rocks. Yeah, I like Vince DiCola, but I like this song, too. 
Okay, and and this is <laughs> y'all. No, his to me next his week guitar lines are cool. Fire. It's okay. Yeah. Eh. All right. Well, we're wrapping up on the end of the album right now. So, the eyes of the woman, which you said should have closed the album. I think it would have been a great closer, and while this isn't maybe the most, I don't know, memorable Journey song or best, I think this one's really cool, and it's got kind of a little bit of that mysterious edge to it with the keyboards. I think it would make a good song for a James Bond movie with a female villain, but nobody's ever done it, fuckers. You know, I didn't think about that, but that's a good point. What I said was that it has a really cool feel that's similar to, like, Patty Smythe's Scandal or Sade. And, yes, I like both bands, so sue me. So, yeah. you know, it, it kind of reminds me that, like, I, 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 I don't know. I could just, either I could picture him singing to Sade or Patty Smythe back when in the 80s when they were, like, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, actually, Sade still really looks good. But I digress. Um, but, you know, or, or I could even, you know, picture them singing it to a guy about themselves. You know, like, I, I, it could go either way. I mean, this is a, it's, it's a good song. It's a damn good song. And finally, to close the album, the last original song from Journey that we'll hear for the next 10 years, Why Can't This Night Go On Forever? And you did not like this one, you said, right? Nah. It's, it's lame. It's kind of boring. It goes <laughs> on a little too long. I mean, it it would have worked better as a bridge song buried somewhere else in the album, but it's not strong enough on its own to close it. It could have been you would have been an awesome closer. That's probably like the heaviest song on this album. All right. Um, I just I I do love this song. I'm I I'm not going to deny it. And as I mentioned before, I thought it was like the best swan song for them because because it's the last thing that we hear from them for the next 10 years and by then it was great that they reunited with the classic escape frontiers lineup and you know unfortunately with that album they never toured because that's where steve perry got into i think it was a hiking accident or a running accident in hawaii and i think it was hiking yeah, and he didn't want to go on the tour because he was debating getting the surgery for it. And apparently he said he was feeling pressured by the band. And he said he didn't want to do it. And they said, well, we have to go on tour. We have to do this. And that's when they hired uh, Steve Jerry, who at the time their drummer, Dean Castronovo, said was Steve Perry with the perm. Meanwhile, when I saw Journey, it was with him and... The unfortunate thing that I experienced when I saw them live was that I could tell he was singing with backing tracks. Yeah. And then he was, by midway through that tour, he was replaced with Jeff Scott Soto. Yep. I, I've seen them twice with Jeff Scott Soto, and I enjoyed it. I actually uh, walked out when they had all Jerry. Really? Yeah. It, it was bad, man. I... I hear you, but he, you know, he, he was missing his marks. You could tell he had the backing tracks. It just it wasn't a good show. 
Yeah, but musically, I mean, they were on point. So I got to give him that. And Dean Casanova did sing Mother Father, which I was beyond psyched to hear because that's one of my five favorite Journey songs. Um, And, you know, I mean, well, you know, they got Arnell now and they're still going strong. And, you know, we'll see what happens once they release this new material with whatever rhythm section they decide to... uh, Record and tour with. <laughs> but, you know, it's a shame it's not yeah. Steve Smith and Ross Valerie. But what can you do? Very true. So, all right. So, on a scale of 10, what do you give this album? Mm, a six. Yeah, it's above same. average, but not by much. Same here, six. Yeah. I mean, I like it a lot. I think mostly because of nostalgic shit. But, um... I, even though I love a couple of the songs in here, I, I just can't pretend it's a better album than it is. It's very contrived and of its time, unfortunately. Yeah. What would you consider your favorite Journey album? It could be any one of them. It could be anything from the era pre-Steve Perry or post-Steve Perry. It doesn't matter. Um, Probably Captured, the live one. All right. Yeah, because they still had the original. That kind of catches them right in the middle of the transition they were doing. And I don't know. It's a good live album. I just wish they would have left um, the older tracks in that Steve performed. Point taken. Um, me, I'm going to say Frontiers. Again, I, I it's probably because Edge of the Blade was the first uh, song from them that I ever heard and remembered. Growing up, and once I listened to the album from start to finish, I don't know, I guess it just struck a chord with me because, you know, like, I guess you could call it like a time bias almost. Yeah. But either way, uh, all right. So now on to the second album from Journey. And again, this is one that I'm positive only Journey diehards may know of this one. It's possible. But I could be wrong. Or fans of Japanese film. The funny thing about this film, before we talk about the album, so it's based on the Japanese film, well, Japanese-French production, uh, Yumi Yumi no Ato, I think that's what it's called. Hold on. Let me let me confirm that. Uh, I, just, uh, I just wrote down it was Yume. I don't remember there being a longer name. It actually is, but uh, okay, uh-huh. here we go. Hold on, I found the Wikipedia. Oh, I was right. It was Yumi Yumi no Ato. Oh, okay. Which translated is the name of this Journey album called Dream After Dream. Now, what happened was the director of this film, Kenzo, who was a Japanese fashion designer and a famous one at that, they asked him, hey, would you ever want to direct a film? You know, uh, write, produce, direct a film. And he didn't he didn't know anything about filmmaking, but it was something he was intrigued with. So he said, sure. So he wrote the story, got the actors. It was a uh, uh, Japanese French production and there were French and Italian actors in it. And. You know, the production of this film was plagued with chaos. Apparently, there's a scene in the film where they tried to uh, give a horse tranquilizer so they could get him to, you know, fall down on screen yeah this is this is before animal cruelty laws i guess but 
they um, the horse ended up passing out on its own when they weren't filming. So that's a, this film was plagued with issues throughout the entire. <laughs> This film was plagued with issues throughout the whole thing, and apparently the the, the budget for this film, the whole the, the budget total, including journey salary, uh, cost about four hundred million yen, which I don't know what that is converted, but it's you know it's a decent amount. And the director wanted to have journey on. I think that. that's about one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. That's pretty impressive that you know that. Yeah, and. What happened was uh, Journey was asked by Kenzo, hey, would you guys like to write the music and score for this film? And the rumor is that they supposedly canceled the European tour so they could do this, and they actually recorded in Japan. Uh, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but they did the film, and it was edited, and the film was only shown once in France to about 300 uh, ticket holders. And Kenzo, the director, stated that he was so devastated by the reaction that the film got because during one of the crucial dramatic scenes, the audience, the entire audience of 300 laughed during what he meant to be a very pivotal scene in the film. And it devastated him so much that he just said, I'm never releasing this. It supposedly has never been released on home video or DVD or Blu-ray before, and no prints of it exist. Supposedly, bootlegs of this film exist, but again, that is the rumor mill. But Hmm. the the only thing that exists from this film, aside from a couple of the theatrical stills and posters, is this album, which is only available as a Japanese import— called Dream After Dream. You're lucky if you could find it stateside. And if you do, expect to shell out a shit ton of money for it. I actually just bought my copy from Discogs for about shipping and handling and tax. 35 not bad. But, That's not too bad. Yeah. But, I mean, on eBay, it's going for over 100 So, So this is the album. And it's actually the last album to feature Greg Rowley on keyboards. Rowley or Raleigh? I always thought it was Greg Raleigh, but I'm not sure. I th- okay, so I'll go with Greg. Greg Raleigh's swan song. And this is like the most atypical Journey album. E- even if you count the fact that they started as a progressive rock band in the 70s. You know, well, see, but- it, 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 yeah, it's even weirder than that, though, because of the string and the horn section you have doing the score from whatever... Um, Oh hell. I I I don't know if they were some kind of orchestra or whoever that was making the film rented, but large parts of this album focus on what they're doing. <laughs> well, that's because it's it's uh it's typical in Japanese films to actually feature orchestra. Like if you watch a lot of the anime uh from that era or even if you watch a lot of the Japanese cinema, even the kaiju films, Orchestra plays a bigger part in their cinema than pop music or yeah. anything like that. Are you out of Lucky Strikes? <laughs> no, I was counting how many I had left. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, it wasn't until about, like, that I can recall 15 years ago when they started involving visual Kai bands as the theme writers for certain anime. But, 
yeah, back then, Japanese film was really all about like orchestras, so they had to involve it somehow. But in my opinion, I think it worked perfectly. I don't think it sounds bad. I think large sections of this can be quite boring if you're not in the mood for mood for it, yeah. because it is meant to, you know, describe the action that's playing out on the screen, the flourishes and whatnot. They match shit like that, and it's just not it's not always super interesting. Like there's a couple great tracks on here, but um, this really isn't one of my favorite ones by them. Oh, then Although gonna, I do respect the songwriting. You're going to be shocked when I say this. It's my second favorite Journey album. That's cool. If it's more your thing, you know? <laughs> it definitely is because I just, because it's so different. It's like, like, I like music from The Elder from Kiss. I like Signals from Rush. I like albums that are not what you would consider like the typical representation of that band. You know, and for me, this album is it because it just shows them stepping out of their wheelhouse and doing something that you never thought they would have done before or did before. Like I said, the only people that really know this exists are probably like hardcore Journey fans. And you actually have a copy of the vinyl? Yeah. Okay. I did not bring it out here because I left it on the turntable, but yes, I do. (laughs) <laughs> okay, no problem. Well, you know, everyone will see what it looks like in the beginning when Wayne edits this, and uh, you know, you you, you can you can Google it, uh, Wayne. You'll find it. But the opening track, "Destiny," um, I think it's like the last song that showcased them as a progressive rock band. And Steve Perry doesn't do his normal crooning. You know, it's very. In the, in the guise of like what what uh, I'm trying to uh, give me a second Wayne edit this <laughs> <laughs> he probably won't but that's okay it's it's more along the lines like he's he's singing for the song but he's not singing like Steve Perry would right you know and I think he uh, he nailed I think he nailed it and the Everything that leads up to the middle part is just perfect because it just—I just think it's so dynamic. And then all of a sudden, it breaks out into that middle part where the orchestra like just plays like these these uh, swooning notes over like the fast drumming and and the fast guitar breaks. I mean, it's just—I don't know—I love it. I, I I must have had this on repeat about a hundred times <laughs> before I moved on to the album. No, I like that. That's. One of my favorites on here. That one and Little Girl. And Little Girl is a, a good one, too. And that's actually the only represent... That's only... That's the only song that's represented on their box set, Time Cubed. Yep. And that's probably... And that's more because it was a B-side to Open Arms. This is correct. It, it's Which I think is actually what it lists it being included from. I don't even think they mentioned the Dream After Dream soundtrack, even in that box set. No, they didn't. Yeah. They did not. And the next track after that is an orchestral piece, which was credited to Ross Valerie. And if that's true, I didn't... I never thought... He was he he could write for orchestra, but 
I I loved it. It was the snow theme. Now, what I meant to say about Destiny was that Destiny pretty much spells out the premise of what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the male character finds two female characters, which are Yuki and Suki. Now, Yuki is Japanese for snow, and Suki is Japanese for moon. So there's two instrumental tracks in here called Snow Theme and Moon Theme. So this is Yuki's theme. And I just thought it was so haunting. It, you know what it kind of reminded me of? Uh, Riz, or- Riz Ortolani's uh, 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 score for Cannibal Holocaust a little bit. I know that's okay. a, little, a little far-fetched, but there are some beautiful orchestral pieces that he did write for that movie, even though I don't recommend anyone watch that movie. <laughs> Listen to the soundtrack. Don't watch the movie. It's okay. What, Cannibal or... Uh, Cannibal, Snow the th- movie. Oh, okay. What do you think of Snow Theme? I like it. It's it's a good progressive rock piece, but like I said, outside of those two songs, this just kind of runs into a big one long song for me. Oh, I hear what you're saying. Um, Sandcastles is probably the most jazziest thing that they had written in a while. Yeah, that one actually reminds me a little bit of, um, early Santana lineup, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah. wait, was Ross Valerie in Santana? Ross Valerie was not in Santana. It was just Greg Raleigh and, uh, Neil Sean. And... Okay, that's right. I, I thought Ross Valerie was too, but never mind. Yeah. Oh, well, Greg Raleigh wrote it with Steve Perry, so that makes sense. But yeah, I like this one too. It's it's another good um I really like the uh the jazz parts to it. And um part, part of my problem where I say some of the stuff kind of runs together is, you know, they re- they repeat a lot of the same themes on here, which again, I get it. It's because it's a movie. But <laughs> Yeah. Um, and then the next one, a few coins, it's a 40 second orchestral piece. The one thing I don't understand is how the hell is this credited to all five members? <laughs> yeah, which is, I mean, which is, it doesn't wh- even sound like they're playing all the instruments in it. And this is why I question if Ross Valerie actually wrote, um, uh, moon theme, sorry, snow theme. We'd have to get Ross Valerie on the show to explain himself. Yeah, really. And, you know, now that I'm looking at it, because Moon Theme's an instrumental, too, and it's saying Steve Perry wrote it with Neil Schoen. Which... I don't buy it for a second. No. I it mean, doesn't I... make any sense. There's no lyrics to it. What would Steve Perry have to do with it? I can't think of a thing, but... <laughs> I mean... And then... And then the other shortest piece on here, Festival Dance, is also credited to all five of them. And that sounds like something I would hear at a rent fair. <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's all horns, isn't it? Or mostly. No, that's like it sounds like it sounds like something you would hear at a Renaissance fair. So it's like, huh. you know, some stringy stuff and you know, like uh, I think it's a dulcimer, maybe. It could be wrong, but then we have, after that, oh, no, we we completely missed uh, When the Love is Gone. 
Oh, which sure. I love this song. It's uh, instrumental. Uh, it's orchestral. It's jazzy, and Neil just rips it on the guitar on this one. So I I, I loved it. I like his guitar parts, but that's about it. I kind of thought the rest of it was boring, honestly. All right. See, you're really not a fan of this album. Then. <laughs> I I like it when I'm in the mood for it, but this is something, you know, if it's a nice day outside, you, you go outside and you sit to, you know, just watch the world or maybe sit by a little fire or something. This is something you kind of throw on for background noise. It's not like a Zappa orchestral piece where I'm going to sit down and listen to it and appreciate it and pick it apart. I just don't find it on that same level. It's not bad. It's just not super in depth and interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, maybe it could be said that Kenzo only wanted Journey on this because he thought that having what at the time was one of the biggest international rock bands as the writers of the soundtrack and score for this, maybe he thought it would give the album, uh, give the movie some kind of credibility. So I'm not saying that Journey you know, lost the plot with this album. I just, you know, it was, it was an experiment. No. Yeah. It's an experiment. And re- and really ultimately, you know, they had to do it to match the movie. So I do. It's kind of a nice little last hurrah for their prog tendencies, but yeah, well, it was it, shortly after this, that uh, Raleigh, Raleigh left. Yeah. And, um, I'm not saying that Jonathan Cain wasn't an asset to Journey because obviously they had their big, biggest success with him. But I don't know. It's just something about Raleigh's uh, Hammond organ, his background vocals, even his lead vocals. I mean, it was a huge element of their sound that left. I mean, yeah, you could say that, you know, they traded it for greener pastures, but I don't know. It's just something about the chemistry between sean and riley and 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 valerie and you know i think steve smith didn't join and did he did he join before escape i don't recall yeah he's on escape yeah he joined before no but was he on the album oh no he replaced ansley dunbar right after infinity yeah okay right so you know i I thought that that is a, a killer lineup right there and again not taking anything away from jonathan kane but I don't know. Just I I love my prog rock. I like it hard. I like it melodic and that all went away with Jonathan Kane of the Davies. Yep. Uh, they got totally homogenized. Yeah, and you know, so the rape again, an orchestral piece by Valerie, and it's it ends with Little Girl and I thought this was a great swan song for Raleigh. And, you know, he's he's definitely missed. I think that uh, I know that way before the pandemic happened, uh, Sean actually got back together again with uh, Raleigh and started performing Journey Through Time. And they oh, actually, really? yeah, well, they, I think they only did a couple of shows in, in uh, San Francisco. Uh, he wanted a tour behind it, but he never got that chance to do it. But, yeah, so that was solely concentrating on like earlier journey. I think they, they played songs as far up to, but not past, um, escape. Okay. Maybe frontiers, but I could be pushing it. But anyways, what do you give this album out of a 10? 
I'd give this one a six too, because you know it it is it's above average and it is overlooked, but it's kind of bland. I expected a little bit more out of them, I guess. Fair enough. Again, because it's my favorite, uh, it's my second favorite Journey album. Um, I I I don't I don't give it a ten because Frontiers is a ten, but I give it a I, I'll give it a nine. I can respect it. Thank you. And, you know, I mean, it is available as an import. You can find it on Discogs. You can find it on eBay. If you find it on Amazon, good luck. But chances are you'll pay $900 for that copy. Yep. Good old Amazon. And, you know, but if you can find it in your store, see if you can haggle the guy down. Maybe you can get... uh, Maybe you can throw some bucks off of it. Who knows? Yeah, say, come on, man. I see you had this here for a while. This price, this is ridiculous. How about you give me $20 off of this, and I take a couple of them crappy John Mellencamp records off your hands, too? <laughs> uh, that's a lie. Nobody buys And then John promptly Mellencamp throw records. those John Mellencamp records right in the garbage bin. <laughs> Unless somebody bought- gave me somebody gave me one. They're like, here, I know you like 80s music. I'm like, God, I want to kill you right now. <laughs> somebody gave you a copy of John Mellencamp? Yeah, the one with Jack and Diane on it. Oh, for the love of God. I'm sorry. I, I just you a Heartland Bruce, I just don't get it. I mean No, he, he's he's terrible. I love Springsteen, but Mellencamp is just awful. Just never got into it. Uh, I mean, I know um, I, I one of my brothers had Scarecrow on cassette, but that was about it. I don't know, just not a fan. But no. anyways, but uh, all right. So that wraps up our album reviews for Journeys Raised on Radio from 1986 and the 1980 late 1980 Dream After Dream. So on Radio, you know. It's available wherever you listen to your tunes on Spotify or Amazon or iTunes or whatever. You could also still find the physical copy for it. Yep. And uh, <laughs> dream after dream, good luck. But both are worth getting. By the way, speaking of uh, something odd that came in the mail that is completely rare, and I admit this is a bootleg. But I'm finally happy to say that I own this piece of merchandise right now. Nice. Yes. And it actually comes with the... I'm probably going to get in trouble for owning this and showing it right now because it is a bootleg. But let's see. It's got the original Soundhouse tapes with the B-sides of all their singles from the first album. And the entire Made in Japan record, the five-song version, not the four-song version. Nice. So, I don't want to yeah, say... Yeah, I, I have a bootleg of that full 15-song show that I paid way too much for on vinyl. Oh, you mean like the actual Japanese show, the whole concert? Yeah. I'll tell you, one of the... Cre- it's It's funny how, like, with a lot of bands from the 80s, they... They they took a lot of fashion sense from uh, Japanese culture. Like, I can't even begin to pinpoint how many bands wore, like, kamikaze t-shirts 
Yeah. That that, that Japan was definitely a big uh, stronghold for a lot of American bands. I mean, you know, I think that's where Alcatraz did all their touring when Ingve was in the band, and he's a god in Japan. And here he plays to a um, sequencer. Yeah. And, and Michael Schenker, you know, a lot of stuff hit there first before it hit anywhere else. Yeah, and you know, it's uh, Japan's always a place that I, I've always wanted to visit. You know, I uh, I love the culture, I love the anime, I love the. I'm not gonna say I'm into the hentai because I'm not, but. <laughs> oh God, my family's probably watching this, and they're probably. <laughs> But I hey, I, I wouldn't have even mentioned it, but you know, you <laughs> took it upon yourself to bring it up. All right. Well, I don't love all aspects of it. Like, I don't love all aspects of American culture. I like what I like. And, you know, Japanese music is great. I love. Uh, are you familiar with the band Anthem? I know you're familiar with Loudness. Have you heard of yeah. Anthem? Yeah, I know who Anthem is. I actually just raffled off two of their records. Um, when it comes to Japanese music, especially metal, though, I was more into the thrash stuff like Jurassic Jade, Rose Rose, Coco Bot. So let me ask you a little bit about these raffles, unless uh, Wayne has already brought this up, but like, you're raffling off your own vinyl? No. I, I do inventory runs and get it. Well, some of it's my own that I've replaced with like Japanese pressings and shit like that. For example, I just did that with um, spreading the disease and among the living. Like I now people are paying like eighty, ninety, a hundred dollars for these common albums. It's insane. But um, you know, I didn't run out and buy them. I just happened to get Japanese versions of them, so I raffled my U.S. presses. Hmm. And where can people uh, find them if they're interested in, um, you know, getting involved, like maybe purchasing some of your stuff? Um, uh, the name of the group is Wicked Sweet Vinyl Waffles. Stupid name. I did not come up with it. Do not give me crap. Um, uh, and you can, anyone can search and join that on Facebook. And then another one that is international that has a little bit more variety, although you'll you'll pay a couple dollars more for shipping because, you know, COVID protocols and stuff like that. And stuff is coming from like England and Germany and Japan. But um, Raffle Crate, it's called. All right. And they're both on Facebook groups, right? Yep. Facebook groups. Very cool. All right. Um, anything else you want to talk about? No, nah, not really. Other than Journey, all I really listened to today was uh, Iron Maiden. Although, I did read an interesting interview with Steve Harris just when I was dicking around on the internet. And, um, well, the whole interview was kind of basic, but the guy asked him about um, what was the most complicated song Maiden had ever done live and they probably wouldn't do again and he actually said to tame a land he said they tried it out on the peace of mind tour and uh it was by far the most complicated song to try to be able to play comfortably and they most likely wouldn't be doing it again which is a shame because i love to tame a land but as i went back i went back and i was listening to it today and there's some pretty ridiculous shit going in in that song (laughs) yeah and I saw the, I saw a bootleg concert that somebody posted on YouTube from the Peace of Mind tour, and they 
played that song on every stop on their tour. And I don't know what he's talking about. I thought they did it flawlessly. But then again, I wasn't the one performing it. So who knows? I don't, I don't think he was insinuating they messed it up. I think he was talking about the intensity of playing those bass lines and shit like that was just too much for the I'll band. I'll tell you one thing that upset me when I saw Maiden, and it's the only thing that upset me, because I've seen them about five times. I went to the Final Frontier tour at Madison Square Garden, where Dream Theater was their opening act. And oh, God. I, eh. And they they only did, like, the, the everything before the encore, with the exception of Iron Maiden and Fear of the Dark, was only stuff from 2000 to about 2010. So it only consisted of um, Brave New World, Dance of Death, Matter of Life and Death, and Final Frontier itself. And my one of my favorite Maiden songs is Passchendaele. I, I love that song. I think it's one of their best. And they were supposed to perform it on the tour because apparently they performed it on the first two shows of that tour. So my buddy and I are getting ready to hear them play Passchendaele. And what do they play instead? Wrathchild. Ha! <laughs> and I'm just like... Oh, that's I, different. Different. They play it... I, haven't, I don't remember a Maiden concert where they didn't play it. I wanted to hear Passchendaele. <laughs> Okay. Um, I, I, well, I find it odd that they chose Ratchild because you know the way they had been doing it since oh, what was that? Around two thousand five or so, when they did the first History Iron Maiden DVD. If you notice, when they do tours, they do like two separate tours. One focuses on all the older classic song, and the other half of it focuses on the newer tracks and the new album. So the yeah. final frontier part of it would have been focusing on that. Which is why I find it strange for them to replace Passchendaele with a song like Rothschild. I mean, <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because I did watch a, 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 a an earlier bootleg of that tour on YouTube, and I think the reason why they dropped it was because it sounded like Nico was having trouble with the cues. Mm. So it, it's it's possible, and you know it's. It's a shame, but I did see the follow-up to that, which was the Made in England tour, and that was amazing. Yes, that one, that I one saw had that Alice, too. Yeah, with Alice Cooper as the opening act. That was great. Um, but talking about To Tame a Land, I know that there's two other versions out there. Uh, may, you know, There's the one on Peace of Mind. Uh, Dream Theater did it for... No, thanks. Okay, but Morjan, uh, the, the doom metal... Doom Death Metal okay. Band that was on Relapse. Uh, they did a cover of it for uh, an Iron Maiden tribute album that was on Dwell Records. And Dwell at the time was famous for like underground metal bands covering classic songs. And I really liked their cover of To Tame a Land. It was it was really good. It was different. It you know it was it was longer. <laughs> they they definitely stretched it out. But the one thing that they did that Maiden didn't do was they actually took a uh, a sound clip from the movie Dune, where Maiden Glock... was not allowed to do that at the time. Frank Herbert outright refused. Yeah, well, they were going to yeah. call it Dune, and he yep. just said, "If you even think of calling it after my book, uh, I will sue you." 
And the whole time, <laughs> Bruce Dickinson was referring to him as a, uh, as a as a word that begins with the letter C and rhymes with punt. Mm-hmm. Throughout the whole tour, which I don't blame him. Well, the the, the one bootleg video I have of the, I think he calls him a remarkable shithead. Actually, when he's that introducing too. it, <laughs> that too. yeah, I love the way the British swear. It's just it's, it's beautiful art. It really is. Oh yeah, it 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 really is great. It's very entertaining. I agree. I wholeheartedly agree. But all right, cool. So I guess we'll wrap up this episode. Yeah, might as well. We've uh, detracted long enough, I suppose. But yeah, good right. episode though. I enjoyed talking about these two. Yeah, and this was uh, the first time it was just you and me flying solo without uh, his Wayne-ness. Yes. And uh, Wayne, we missed you. And, you know, looking forward to being with you in the following episode. I I hope I'm speaking for me and Greg when I say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. All right, cool. But, uh, I'm, Greg, I'm glad we got to do this one. So... Let me see. How would Wayne end this? Okay. So, please subscribe and like and comment on the videos. The channel is Rat Salary Review on YouTube. Also, go to the website, ratsalaryreview.com. And please, wherever you listen to your podcasts, subscribe to Rat Salary Review there, where you can hear all the podcasts that we have on our show. Uh, uh, sorry, all the podcasts that we have on our network. So we have this, we have my podcast, Music is Life podcast, we have Beyond Bushido with James and Eric, we have The Right Opinion with Harrison Bergeron, we have Suck My Balls, a South Park podcast, Wayne just did another episode of Sporadically 3D with the great Harry Barnett, and trying to think, is that all our shows? Oh no, we have Old Man Metal, Old Man Metal. we don't know when Timo Toki is coming back, but apparently he heard our version of Hunting High and Low and he liked it. So thanks, Timo. Good stuff. And, you know, hopefully this year we'll have more content on the site, more content on the on the on the YouTube channel and, well, just more content in general. We're making this the year of the rat salad review. Yes, exactly. Motivate me to do my Zappa thing. Come on. Yes. And. Go back and uh, listen to where Greg said he could find where, where you could find his uh, his his online raffles on Facebook and see if you like something he's got. Buy something from him, you know. Yes. And Thank you. No problem. And as for me, uh, music is live podcasts available exclusively on the Rat Side Review, and also you can find my channel on YouTube. Just type in "music is live podcast" in the search engine. Oh. And also available on all available streaming media platforms. And that's really about it. Greg, it was awesome. Salute to you, sir. The Grand Poobah of Ratsal Review. And me, the Supreme Cheese. I don't know what I am. No, Supreme I Cheese. Mm-hmm. I'll think of something like that. Yeah, I'm a cheesy bastard anyways. Oh, by the way, corner shirt. I am a fan now because of this man. So Awesome. Really love that band right now. And that's it. Thanks for tuning in, and have a good night, everybody. You guys have a good night.
I hope Wayne doesn't decide to put in that video that he did the last time that you blacked out. I was like, what the fuck am I listening to? Yeah. He thinks he's funny. 